sometimes we forget when we're interviewing that like 98% of the time the people interviewing you want you to do really well. They like want a new team member and they want it to go well. Obviously there's lots of bias in the interview process, but I think trying to remind yourself to like take a breath and they want you to succeed. Welcome to Career Paths with Teal. I'm your host, Dave Fano. For nearly a year now, we've been working from home. Companies large and small have needed to adapt to keep up with this new world. Working remotely, a practice once reserved for only a select few, has now become the norm. With that comes new questions and challenges, but also new opportunities. I'm so excited to introduce this week's guest, Mary Jantz, a people operations and remote work consultant. Mary fell in love with people operations and human resources early in her career and sees it as an opportunity for companies to invest directly in their employees. And today, she is here to point out the ways that we can self-advocate out of the office, find opportunities in this economy, and ace interviews remotely. So I went to University of Gonzaga University in Spokane, Washington. Um, it's a smaller college, probably 5,000 people. There I studied public relations and the political science. I'm going to be perfectly honest. I don't really use much of what I've learned in college. Definitely built a lot of like really great relationships. But I think for the work I do, there's a lot more soft skills and just like practical hands-on knowledge that you learn versus like being a mechanical engineer or a biologist. (laughs) And so then that takes us back to, let's see, 2013, I graduated. And my first like real job I kind of just like asked for it was a energy bar company in Spokane they're family owned I thought they had a cool story and I sent them an email and said here are five things that I want to do for you at the time it was more focused on public relations and marketing because that's what I was studying and they were great and part of my work there was scheduling our social media posts and that's when I started using a tool called Buffer And it is a tool for scheduling your social media posts. And one day I noticed they had added a little text to their logo in the top left corner that is hiring. Um, And the more I read about Buffer and I was already using their product and I was learning about their values and they've done a really great job with their employer branding. I don't think it was like quite intentional. They didn't set out to do great employer branding, but they set out to be a transparent company. And so I felt really connected. And that's where I would say I kind of started working in startup in tech. I joined their customer support team as a happiness hero. And that was an awesome experience. And I, I like to always include that as kind of like an origin story because a lot of how I view people operations and remote work is from that experience. And I, when the team got to about like 30 people, we started to feel a need for someone to do people ops full time. And I, on the support team, had been helping a lot with hiring and onboarding and training new team members, had a good relationship with the CEO. And so I stepped in to that. And so that was really my first experience, um, like more formally working in people operations. And I think what helped with that transition, I mentioned a few things, like I was starting to do things around hiring and onboarding. But really what I think it was in customer support, you spend so much time building muscle around collecting qualitative and quantitative feedback from customers and kind of uncovering like they might be asking for this thing, but really what they want is this thing and turning it into actionable product feedback. And I think that's largely what working in PeopleOps is. It is really becoming like a listener and a translator and your culture is your product. 
it's like an internal customer support role. And then if you kind of fast forward, I've spent the next few years at a, a number of early stage startups in San Francisco and remotely. I worked at Hip Camp and then I helped my sister start a growth marketing agency and build out her team. Um, doing a little bit more HR and compliance and benefits in that work. And then I spent a little bit of time at a company called Torch. They do executive leadership coaching, again, in people operations and consulting. And now since about January, I've been doing the work I mentioned at the beginning with people operations and HR consulting, again, working mostly with early stage teams, helping them with setting the foundation and since March, figuring out what remote work looks like. So there's a couple questions here before we sort of switch it over. Well, it starts to be a little bit on the advice, but sort of transition from you to the advice is learning a little bit more about people operations. Like what's the main distinction between HR and people ops? Yeah, I think that's a good question. And I think that question probably gets 50 different answers with 50 different people. But I kind of go back a little bit I'm not super particular, depending who I'm talking to. I might call it HR. I might call it people ops. I think traditionally, HR is more viewed as things like payroll and compliance and benefits, um, maybe working in systems like Gusto and JustWork, um, and thinking a little bit more about the like business side. And I think people ops is I'd say HR is a little bit more reactive and people ops is a little bit more proactive. And so in people operations, you might be thinking a little bit more around building a team and creating an inclusive hiring process and how people at your company are going to grow and develop. There's like some stigma around working in HR, which I think HR is great. I think it's a really important role. But like I sometimes will like A-B test this a little bit on my own. And when I tell people what I do, I might say HR, I might say people ops. And when I say HR, people are typically like, ooh, um, but it's a it's a really like great and important role. And I think again to our conversation around thinking about what type of company you might work at in large, large companies, HR is going to be more like singular focused around maybe you're just focused on payroll or compliance. And at a smaller under hundred people person startup, HR might mean more of the like helping with hiring and helping with learning and development and setting compensation structure and some of those more like people-focused projects. I'd, I would be curious to hear your answer to those. Dave, I'm going to send it back to you and see if you have anything different that you might add. <laughs> like I'm, they're usually within the same organization. You know, I think mm -hmm. that most companies, when they have them, don't. It, they roll up to one person. I would look out for how they title them as CHRO or CPO or C CCO, which would be chief culture officer. But I think they're usually within the same org. They're usually like sub orgs of the same org, obviously bigger companies. And yeah, I agree with your distinction. You know, proactive, reactive is tricky. But yeah, I think the, the sort of compliance would be, would be more like typical HR. And um, culture, people ops would be more on like the growth of the individuals. I, I think that's a good distinction. Mm. But you know too. better than me. <laughs> you have I, I've only worked at tiny little companies and you have this much like broader experience I think that when companies hit 50 there's a lot of things that change in terms of HR and so that's maybe when it becomes a little bit more compliance focused and figuring out trainings that need to happen and like the legal parts of it let's transition to that because you help a lot of companies 
think about their hiring processes and what to look out for. And so what, what are you seeing as, and, and then just startups, and a lot of our members work at startups and think about working at startups. And I'm a, I'm a huge advocate for working at startups at least once in your career. There's just so much to learn. Uh, learn about yourself and learn about the way a company runs. But how would you think about the various like stages of startups and what they mean for employment and your career in terms of possibility and, and access to learn? I think that's a good question. I'm thinking back to like when I started learning about Buffer, again, that being my first kind of like consideration of do I want to work at a startup? And like 2013, Mary had no idea really about the different types of startups and what it meant to be either Series A or Series B or um, like team size and what impact that would have. For me then, it was purely like, they seem cool. I think I'll join them. And so I think that's a good question to think about. I would say, I would say I would approach like as a job seeker, I would, before thinking about what type of company you want to work at, whether it is a seed or Series A or Series B, and I'll talk in a second about like, some pros and cons, but I would, I before I would even like look at that stuff, I would try to stack rank like what are your priorities and motivations. So 2013, Mary, it was like I want to work on a remote team. I want to work with a team that's like really customer focused. And 2020, Mary might think a little bit more like my list would look different. I would think a bit more around like opportunity for growth and development, and um, I might prioritize like by like salary more than I would in 2013. And so I, I feel like that's an important starting point is so you're not reacting to jobs at certain companies. You're just like really clear on what you personally want. And then mapping those to certain companies. I think I have always worked at companies that are in between seed and series B. And I think for me personally, I have really enjoyed working at like early, early stage companies that are smaller under a hundred because there's a lot more room for autonomy and ownership. And so if those are some things that are maybe at the top of your list that you prioritize, I would look at earlier stage companies. If you are in a place in your life where you're like really excited to work a lot and and put a lot of time and energy into your work, I think if you create this list and some of your priorities are work-life balance and spending time with family and having maybe like security, like definite certainty that this company is going to be around for a long time, you might look at later stage companies or even companies like Google, Facebook, Amazon, Twitter. Yeah, that uh, that makes sense. I, I agree. People ops uh, as a function, you're part of a lot of groups, you know, that, that are in, engaged in bigger organizations. What would you say, like, if someone really wants to get into people ops and has a passion for helping shape that part of the culture and be part of the company, like what, what, what are some of the roles people should look out for? How do they make that transition in? You know what? I'd be curious to know like how you either made the pitch to get people ops at Buffer or if Joel just said like, hey, Mary, I think you should do this. You've shown a natural interest in it. Like how, how can people get that role in? And then what's a career path look like you know, for someone in people ops? I would say to answer the question around like how I made the transition, I think this goes back to a little bit of what I was saying around like starting to get comfortable advocating for yourself. And so part of it is I was fortunate the buffer was growing really fast and we didn't have anyone in this role. And so I stepped into it in some areas, helping with hiring, helping with onboarding, helping um, training team members, 
thinking about our vacation policies, stuff like that. So I, in some ways, started doing the job before I was really doing the job. And it wasn't necessarily with the foresight of this is the career I want to follow, but I realized I really loved it and enjoyed it. And so it was, it was a conversation. It was, we need someone to do this. We think Mary likes it. <laughs> but there's also some level of advocating in terms of like, well, I have been doing this and this and this and this role. And it, I think it translates well. There, like Buffer as a company, there were lots of people that were really interested and highly emotionally intelligent that would also would have been really great at this work. So there's some level of advocating. I think there's this like, I don't know, if you imagine a bar chart, I sometimes think about competence and confidence and trying to get the right level. Some people are like quite confident, but they might not be that competent, but they're really great at selling themselves and showing their work. Um, And then you have the other side where people might be really, really great, really competent, but not really comfortable like promoting themselves and showcasing their work and trying to find that right balance of confidence and confidence I think is, is really helpful and so I think again for me it was through customer support to people off I'm not necessarily like promoting that the route of getting into it but I think that there are ways that you can kind of take baby steps I think things like asking to speak at your next company all hands or being part of a diversity and inclusion employee resource group or areas where you can start to contribute to the company culture. And like it's twofold, you might start doing those things and realize you hate, but you might start doing them and they feel really great. And then you can start to kind of like share those examples to your team. One of the tensions I've seen when people pursue careers in HR is a like, deep sense of purpose and fulfillment from helping people mm-hmm. and wanting to do right by the people, but the organization doesn't agree, right? The organization mm-hmm. sees HR's role as compliance. Mm-hmm. Some organizations put like HR under legal or, or they keep them separate for whatever reason. You know, sometimes yeah. I'll joke like HR is a veil for legal. That's my mm-hmm. cynical view sometimes, but you could find yourself in an HR department that you know, just may not align with that. Like what, what, would, what would be some ways for people to try to discern that in the interview process? Mm-hmm. And then if you find yourself with the kind of like a changing of the guard or something happens at the company, right? There's layoffs and all of a sudden mm-hmm. HR is being like, okay, you manage the layoffs now. Like we just went from high growth. Everything's awesome. We're drinking kombucha mm-hmm. to like, you're organizing the lists and you need to chop like the bottom 10%. Mm-hmm. And like HR has to do that. And, yeah. you know, and, and so like, what are, you know, what are some tips you can give to people to managing that or like even just like understanding the breadth of the responsibility of being, because you know, I think another thing with startups is you might have like functional clarity today on people ops on the up, but like, okay, we're on the down, you're here. Mm-hmm. People ops is no longer your HR now, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, mm-hmm. and there, there's like the functional definition in a startup is something can now, you know, is at the whim of a CEO can just be like, yeah, I just changed the function. I think one of your questions is also how I'm going to answer, but you mentioned like, what can you look out for in the interview process? I think that is a really, really important time to try to assess the leadership of the company's understanding of people ops in HR. I think a lot of times the interview process is this weird and 
messed up power dynamic, but I think people are do, like learning to do a better job of using the interview as like a two-way street and to really use the time to understand like, is this a place that I would want to be a part of? I've made that mistake before. I have been excited about a company and the work that they're doing and didn't spend enough time really trying to understand like what is their view of HR and people. And so that's, I think that's an important thing to like, maybe you're like, yeah, the interview that I'm supposed to interview them too. But if that feels kind of like scary or like you're supposed to use the interview time to, um, sell yourself I think it's important to try to push yourself to ask some of those harder questions I think like more actionable and specific I would recommend asking whoever is interviewing you what their distinction or view of HR and people is at the company and they might give you like I don't know they might give you a great answer they might just give you kind of like a scripted answer but I think it can be interesting to try and push back on whatever their answer is you might agree with that you might be like yeah that's perfect I agree but I think if you can provide feedback to the interviewer, especially if it's maybe someone on the executive team to see how they respond to that, if they're open to it and they're like, wow, I've never thought about it that way. That's really interesting. That's a great sign. And if they kind of like close off and aren't really sure like why you're giving them feedback, that's also something that's really important to learn before you join the team. I would say too, there's more conversation and awareness right now around kind of like performative diversity and inclusion and understanding kind of what are people saying because they feel like they need to say and what is like actual helpful action and steps that is being taken. And so I think people right now are asking more of those questions around like, what is your company? And, and with COVID. So there's questions like, what, how has your company responded to helping people work remotely? There's questions like, how has your company addressed anti-racism at work? And I think it's specific to HR and people. I think those are really important questions to ask to see kind of like how much ownership and autonomy those areas are given. Um, I think if you can ask, like as a someone who is interviewing, you're very familiar with the idea of behavioral questions as like, you responding to them but I think they're also really helpful to ask when you're interviewing so you can ask specifically about like things that have happened but you can also say like what would happen if you ran out of runway and had to lay off 10% of staff like how do you think you would handle that some of those questions there's two topics that I'd love to you know panel interviews and interviewing in a remote world and then what are you seeing as like now right Buffer was an all remote company you've been helping Mm -hmm. companies craft like all remote work plans yeah. What's some of the advice for people starting jobs? Well, we'll do that, that question after. Like panel <laughs> interview. Yeah, and just like interviewing in a, in a remote world. I, like what is my opinion on panel interviews or how should you prepare for a panel interview? How should you prepare, uh, right? Because everyone's job seeking here. Not everyone, but mostly it's from the candidate side. And so yeah. what, what should they think about in showing up for a panel interview? But you have the advantage of helping people design mm-hmm. interview processes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, what are you telling your clients to look out for? Which in turn, yeah. we can flip to advice for those trying to go through those panels. <laughs> got it, got it, got it, got it. I think generally, I will answer your question, but generally I advise like against panel interviews because I think that they're good. I understand the intention of like saving time, but I think you as an inter as someone working at a company and interviewing a candidate, you get a lot more information when you could maybe spend like an hour with a candidate versus sharing 30 minutes with three other people would be my like 
high level thoughts around it. But I think if you're preparing for a panel interview, my advice would be, if possible, if you are sent the information of the people that will be in the interview, um, looking them up, not in like a creepy way where you need to know every piece of information about them, but at least understanding what their roles are at the company and preparing some answers based on that. So if I was interviewing with like someone in product and someone in engineering and someone in design, I would think about how I specific to people ops would think about like organizational design for engineering and design and product teams. And I would try to tailor my answers a little bit things that I know are more top of mind for the people that are interviewing me. And I think I would, there's like lots and lots of advice out there. So I'm not going to go too in depth around just like how to like aesthetically prepare for a remote panel interview and your background and using headphones. But I think generally whatever is going to make you feel most comfortable is important. And I think too, sometimes we forget when we're interviewing that like 98% of the time the people interviewing you want you to do really well they like want a new team member and they want it to to go well obviously there's lots of bias in the interview process but I think trying to remind yourself to just like take a breath and they want you to succeed is also important yeah that's a good point yeah it's like that's true I've been doing a lot of interviewing lately and like I want them to go great I'm not looking to waste time I want every interview to be amazing so I can do less of them so that's a really good call out like they're rooting for it to go well Mm -hmm. you've done remote work for a long time. Now you've helped companies, you know, shape their remote cultures. And I think we're in, there's a lot of companies needing to onboard people now because hiring hasn't stopped. Obviously it's yep. different. And what are you seeing as some of the trends for people starting new roles as a remote worker? And what advice could you give to them? You know, uh, cause some companies have zero, you know, so mm-hmm. what advice could you give to them in the kind of like proverbial first 90 days, which I think it's kind of a little bit of a myth because you're being evaluated like in the first 90 seconds. But what advice could you give to people to engage with the culture? And I think some of the self-advocacy advice that you gave early on, in my opinion, is probably relevant here. But what are some of the things you're doing uh, that you're seeing successful people do when they start remotely in a new company? I think that it's challenging no matter what when you're starting something new. So again because we talked about college (laughs) thinking back to that time like when you anytime you're doing something new it's hard so like even if you were starting at a if things are different and you're going into your office and you're starting a new job in an office that's also a big change so I think it's okay to just kind of like acknowledge that but more more specifically I think I'm going to give you a little bit more than you asked for but something that a lot of (laughs) teams who have been hiring remotely for a long time will do is include application questions role. And so companies like Zapier has a lot of really good examples if you look at their job boards, but they'll have questions. They're not like super in-depth, but it might be like, who are four companies that are great at marketing and why? And the reason that is super helpful on the hiring side is because you start to see how people communicate like written communication versus in an office. And that is so important for remote work is being able to clearly and succinctly communicate an idea. So I think to flip that around to how can you kind of make an impact when you're starting and, and make a good impression. I think I would say focus a lot on your written communication. And I think something for people who are, may, are maybe like new to remote work, spending time thinking about like effective asynchronous communication 
And then that's really just like a, if anyone's not familiar, fancy word of just like communication that happens over written forums. So it's not like live talking. And I think it is really beneficial to get great at that because there's a big difference if you're like reaching out on Slack and message someone and just say like, hey, I have a question and just like leave it at that versus messaging someone and saying like, hey, I have a question about how to use our customer support tool. It's not urgent, but if you have five minutes later today, could you run me through this? So learning how to communicate all your ideas and express urgency and leave it for someone to like, they don't need to like get completely pulled out of what they're working on, I think is really important. And then I think this is related, but just like that idea of documentation. Uh, And so maybe you're starting a new role and you're confused about things, it can be really helpful to write that down and provide that feedback for the next person who's going to join. And I I think really what that's about is just in remote work, making things as explicit as possible is really important. So if you can contribute to that, again, I'm coming from an HR and people ops spot, but when people are onboarding and tell me, like, these are the five things I wish I had known in my first week, that's like a dream. So... I think being comfortable expressing those is helpful too. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Career Paths with Teal. Now it's your turn. Do you have an interesting story about your career that you'd like to share? Or would you recommend someone you'd like to hear from? If so, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note by heading to the show notes on this episode for the link to contribute. This podcast is sponsored by Teal and our job is to help you land a job you love. As a member, you can dive deeper into all the conversations on our show. For information on how to sign up for one of our programs, visit www.tealhq.com. Conversations for this show were facilitated by me, Dave Fano, and Eric Martin. Produced for us by Rainbow Creative by Matthew Jones and Ritu Jagannath. Audio editing by Hammond Chamberlain. Thank you for listening and we'll see you on the next one.